This is a preview clip of part five of the Media Roots radio series, The Freemasonic History of the United States. This episode is titled, Brother Against Brother, Freemasonry, Knights of the Golden Circle, and the Scottish Rite during the Civil War. You can get access to the entire episode, which is four and a half hours long, at patreon.com slash radio. We start part five of the Freemasonic history of the United States. The 1860 Republican Convention. Six years before this, the Republican Party had been founded in Ripon, Wisconsin. It was essentially the newest iteration of the third party populist spirit in the United States. A spirit that embodied quote-unquote classical liberalism, anti-aristocracy, and opposed the expansion of slavery. Not all Republicans at this time were abolitionists. They opposed the continuing expansion of slavery as a platform. Their second presidential nominating convention in 1860 was between several different political rivals, most of them Whigs, William Seward, Salmon Chase, Edward Bates, and Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln would clinch the presidential nomination in that convention on the last day, May 18th. The vice presidential nominee was Hannibal Hamlin. Although Hannibal Hamlin would end up being replaced by Abraham Lincoln in his second term by Andrew Johnson, a Freemason. After Lincoln clinches the presidential nomination and then wins the presidential election, he assembles what is now famously known as his quote-unquote team of rivals. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln becomes president in the United States. His cabinet is comprised equally of Masons, most famously Andrew Johnson, his vice president, and anti-Masons, William H. Seward, who becomes his secretary of state. His other rivals are the people that opposed him at the Republican convention and in general, in his rise. These were Whigs who later got folded into the Republican Party. Edward Bates and Salmon Chase. Edward Bates is appointed to become U.S. Attorney General by Abraham Lincoln, and Chase is appointed to become Secretary of the Treasury. So we're only about 30 years out from the William Morgan affair. So the question of was Lincoln anti-Masonic? Was he favorable to Masons? Was he somewhere in the middle? Well, Lincoln did speak on Freemasonry several times in his life. He had an interesting relationship to Freemasonry. His political idol was in and of himself a Masonic contradiction, being the most famous anti-Mason besides John Quincy Adams. And this was Henry Clay. 
Henry Clay once held the position of presidential nominee in the anti-Masonic party, but it was also an extremely high-ranking Freemason who refused to denounce the organization. It may seem strange, but it's really not any stranger than a lot of other walking contradictions in the form of politicians in the 20th century. But this contradiction sort of bled into Lincoln's own posturing and thinking on Masonry, at least what he publicly wrote about it. On one hand, playing into anti-Masonry was still popular, politically speaking, at the time. So was being a Freemason. The resurrection of the popularity of Freemasonry now made it once again politically useful to be a Freemason. But based on Lincoln's own writings about Freemasonry, it appears that his views were actually quite reverent of it as an institution. He spoke very favorably of it. Apparently, shortly after Abraham Lincoln received the nomination from the Republican Party, he applied for membership in Tyrian Lodge, Springfield, Illinois, in 1860. But he decided to withdraw the application because he felt at the time it might be construed as a political ruse to obtain votes. He told this lodge that he would definitely resubmit his application when he returned from the presidency, which, of course, he never got a chance to do. Spoiler alert, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. But this reveals some interesting things about Lincoln's thinking. If this was the case, if he was worried that applying for Masonic membership right before running for president would be construed as a political ruse to obtain votes, you could also argue that that coming out virulently anti-Masonic could also be seen as a way to obtain votes. However, at this point, if this was Lincoln's thinking, this sort of shows that the balance was tipping in the other direction by 1860, that becoming a Mason was actually really politically beneficial at this time. Now, maybe Lincoln had sort of this balancing act to do about Freemasonry because he saw what his political idol had done with Freemasonry, taking the mantle of anti-Masonry while refusing to denounce Freemasonry. That maybe taught Lincoln some things about how to speak out both sides of his mouth or maybe hold two opposing, completely different opposing views and how to massage his language politically. Lincoln said, Gentlemen, I've always entertained a profound respect for the Masonic fraternity and have long cherished a desire to become a member. Apparently, when a Freemason told Lincoln during his campaign that all of his opponents were Freemasons and that Lincoln was not, apparently this Mason was telling this to Lincoln, hey man, you should become a Freemason because all of your opponents are and that really gives them a leg up. Lincoln's response was, quote, I am not a Freemason, Dr. Morris, though I have great respect for the institution. The candidates who were running against Lincoln at the time were literally all Freemasons. They included Stephen A. Douglas, John C. Breckinridge, and John Bell. And of course, the president who was still holding office at the time Lincoln was running was James Buchanan, another Freemason. Brother French, the deputy Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of New York, later said about Lincoln that the reasons he didn't join were because he feared he was too lazy to attend to his duty as a Mason as he should like to do, and that he had not carried out his intentions. Lincoln also appeared to be very secular when he would talk about God. 
which also sort of lends to the idea that Lincoln shared a Masonic way of looking at religion, a secularized sort of supreme being. Lincoln also elaborates on why he didn't join a lodge. He said, I never have petitioned because I felt my own unworthiness to do so. I might be overcoming my hesitance and be petitioning at the present time, but I am a candidate for political office and by some such action would be misconstrued. For this reason, because my motives would be misconstrued, I must, for the present time, refrain. Now, I think that this shows sort of an aspect of Lincoln that we necessarily don't learn about in history as maybe a duplicitous version of Lincoln, even though he's very transparent about the optics and how he doesn't want the optics to reflect a misunderstanding, it does sort of imply a higher level of sophistication in terms of the way politicians would write from what we've seen earlier in these episodes. But also, it reveals sort of a duplicitousness that Lincoln was also fairly transparent about in the previous episode of this podcast series, where Lincoln explains why it's not a phony anti-war position to say that him and the Whigs are anti the Mexican-American War. In essence, actually, Lincoln is sort of speaking on a subject that Abby and I speak a lot about on Media Roots, this idea of saying you're anti-war because it sounds good and it resonates with people, but not actually backing it up with real action. And for example, the Whigs during Lincoln's era, when he was merely speaking out against the Mexican-American War, continued to vote for the supplemental war funding for the war, even though they claimed to oppose it, including one of the most virulent anti-Masons, outspoken critics of the war, John Quincy Adams. And besides Andrew Johnson, Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edwin M. Stanton, was also a very dedicated Freemason. In 1860, a prominent anti-Masonic lobbyist asked Mary Todd Lincoln if her husband belonged to a secret society. Her response was, Mr. Lincoln has never been a Mason or belonged to any secret order. Some historians also speculate if the reason why Lincoln didn't join Masonry or was hesitant to is because he had some sort of bizarre personal dramatic life incidences with some connected Freemasons. A guy named James Adams in 1837. Abraham Lincoln was representing the legal case of a man who believed that his land was stolen to him that was supposed to be left to him in a deed. And a man named James Adams had spuriously claimed the land and was obtaining it illegally. Lincoln felt that this man was using his local political and lodge connections to perhaps get him out of this legal predicament. Lincoln and him went to war publicly in the press, and for some reason, this Freemason named James Adams, who was a master of the Springfield Lodge, tried to ruin Abraham Lincoln's reputation by spreading the rumor that he was a deist. And even though it does kind of seem like Abraham Lincoln's religious views are fairly deist or kind of Masonic style, it's strange that a very high up prominent Freemason in Illinois, James Adams, would use that charge against Lincoln as a smear because Masons are essentially deist. Now, historians speculate that perhaps 
because James Adams, this mason who tried to ruin Abraham Lincoln's reputation and smeared him in the press, later became an elected deputy grandmaster of the Masons in Illinois in 1840, that that's part of why Abraham Lincoln didn't really join the Masons in Illinois, which is where he largely stayed, which makes a lot of sense. If a guy that was a piece of shit and basically a thief stole some land and you were representing a client that you knew your client was the rightful owner of that land and you knew this politically connected high up Freemason piece of shit was uh, sort of juking the stats or working the system, so to speak, and he now was elected to this top position in Freemasonry in your state, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to join it just out of principle, you know. So that makes sense that Lincoln at least avoided Freemasonry in Illinois. Now, oddly, just a few years after that, Abraham Lincoln had another run-in with a connected Freemason named James Shields. James Shields was an Irish immigrant who settled in Illinois. And while Lincoln was active in the Whig Party in around 1841, Shields was a Democrat who became state auditor of Illinois. And after Lincoln and the Whig Party essentially claimed responsibility for writing a bunch of satirical letters in the local Springfield newspaper, mocking his physical appearance and making political cartoons about him, just making him out to be a total fucking idiot, this guy Springfield challenged Abraham Lincoln to a duel. This became a very hyped up event. It made Lincoln sort of unknown about not necessarily a renegade, but just a guy who was being asked to become part of a duel. And Lincoln actually tried to smooth things over. Lincoln was not a bullheaded man in the same way that Albert Pike was. His first approach was diplomacy. But at the end of it, he had a caveat, which was kind of almost like a slap in the face. So Lincoln kind of tried to smooth things over, but then kind of incensed James Shields by saying that if they do a duel, he would demand that both combatants be in an eight-foot circle holding the largest possible cavalry broadswords with neither allowed to pass over a line in the center. And the reason Lincoln wanted this to be the confines of the duel is because it was sort of mocking the fact that James Shields was a tiny man and couldn't wield the sword, and Lincoln was a towering six-foot-four man who could probably basically tear the shit out of him like a fucking drug lord with a machete. On September 22nd, 1842, Lincoln and Shields prepared to do a duel across from the Mississippi River, where dueling was still legal at this time. This area was specifically designated because that's where it was still legal. At the actual location of the duel where Shields and Lincoln were preparing to shoot each other with their seconds and pistols ready, somehow Shields' friends intervened and convinced him that Lincoln's actual explanation was okay and he should accept it and move on. And even though Shields himself was the one who backed down from the duel and reneged it, it left Lincoln mortified and completely the opposite of how the Albert Pike and Rowan duel ended. This duel ended a continuing spiral of public disputes and continued smears. And again, this probably exacerbated to some degree Lincoln's split with Freemasons because 
we can all sort of assume that a lot of the smears that were leveled at Lincoln and a lot of the heat that was coming at him at this time, basically for going after a prominent state auditor Freemason, was being aided by James Shields' Masonic brethren, again in Illinois. So now we have two examples of the Illinois Freemasons making Lincoln feel not welcome. Now, perhaps because of Lincoln's important symbolism in American history and how he was revered later as being the man who essentially ended slavery, Freemasons rather quickly actually claimed him as one of their own. In fact, by the year 1914, a Dr. L.D. Carmen, a Grand Master, delivers remarks before the Harmony Lodge Number 17, in Washington, D.C. And in these remarks, he's essentially combing through all the details of how Abraham Lincoln spoke, what he did, and his different connections to different Freemasons to make the case that Abraham Lincoln was essentially a secret Freemason. Now, this address doesn't actually accuse Lincoln of being a secret or stealth Freemason directly, it just implies that his entire way of operating was inspired by Freemasonry. But what this article does sort of reveal is the interesting possibility inadvertently, I think, that perhaps Lincoln optically was smarter than an average politician, and maybe part of the reason he won in the presidential election is because he was the only non-Mason. We are still only 30 years out from the Morgan Affair, so it does make sense that, in a weird way, even though someone was suggesting to him to become a Mason to get a leg up, maybe that's what gave him a leg up in the election. It showed him as a credible outsider to some degree, someone who was principled. But this address, spoken at a 1912 Masonic Lodge that's now been published as a book, and it's essentially the speech and the book is called Abraham Lincoln Freemason, reveals a lot of interesting things that it's possible that Lincoln was so smart optically that he maybe even hid, effectively hid his official Masonic membership and his actual reverence for Freemasonry to the degree that he really did have and knowledge of it. Now, Lincoln did preside over a very infamous Masonic funeral rites funeral. And during this funeral ceremony, he broke down in emotion. And apparently a lot of Masons remembered him for this and really respected him for this. Sourcing from a peculiar printed newspaper called Lincoln Lore from January 1971 titled, Abraham Lincoln was not a Freemason. And in it, there's a photographic depiction from a Grand Lodge in New York of Lincoln donning a Masonic apron and a banner. It says on here that this is a photograph skillfully fabricated of Lincoln wearing a Masonic sash and apron. It says that it was skillfully fabricated on 1863, which is very interesting. It actually does look like an actual photograph of Abraham Lincoln. So, skillfully is definitely correct. This photograph 
apparently was a hoax, but could have fooled me. It actually looks like Abraham Lincoln, and it doesn't look like, uh, you know, whatever the equivalent of Photoshop would have been in 1863. So hats off to whoever put this uh, little 1863 Photoshop job together. But anyways, I'm getting away from the point of what I just said about Abraham Lincoln being talked about as having broken down at a Masonic funeral. Well, the actual story goes like this, that a man named Albert J. Beveridge said that a good Masonic friend of Abraham Lincoln had passed away. This friend's name was Bowling Green, and he passed away on February 12, 1842. This personal friend who later wrote about Lincoln said that he was a Mason in Springfield Lodge Number 4. And Springfield Lodge Number 4 conducted his funeral in a grove near his cabin. Lincoln was there, and at Mrs. Green's request, tried to say something at the grave of his old friend. Some who heard him recall that his remarks were very fine, and others that he made a sorry failure. And the author of this printed newspaper, Lincoln Lore, says, in all likelihood, the sorry failure was the result of Lincoln's inability to control his emotion. So it's kind of interesting to just see how they wrote back then. This is how long males have been having difficulty expressing their emotion, is that it's seen almost like he had, he failed to achieve something by crying at a funeral of the death of his friend. It's just an interesting sort of turn of phrase. Remember I mentioned on the last episode that Lincoln went to Joseph Smith's funeral. His law practice was going to be involved in helping some of the Mormons make a case to the federal government. There is actual evidence that Abraham Lincoln did read the Book of Mormon. He rented it from the presidential White House library. But there's some other interesting clues here, and I suppose you could construe them as either potentially Mormon or even Masonic. Now, this one could be either or. And Lincoln actually refers to the fig leaf being an apron. Now, the fig leaf on Adam in the Adam and Eve story from the Bible, in Mormonism, it's portrayed as an apron as well. In masonry, that's also part of the symbolism of the apron, although it also symbolizes, of course, stoneworkers' guilds wearing aprons. But in Mormonism, it specifically represents something sexual because they also wear aprons. So the fact that Abraham Lincoln would refer to Adam's leaf, his fig leaf, as an apron is an interesting clue that maybe he had read Mormonism or he was familiar with some of the Masonic lore. When Lincoln actually went after the Irish state auditor, high-ranking Freemasonry, James Shields, these are some of the words that he used to mock him. He says, If you have ever studied geometry, and remember that by a course of reasoning, Euclid proves that all angles in a triangle are equal to two right angles, the circle from which all their propositions radiate. He uses the phrase, we'll cling to it with a desperate grip. I wish to stand erect before the country. Now at this time, there's a sort of an interesting coincidence, I suppose. I don't know if there's any connection, but there is a quote of Abraham Lincoln's that has been misconstrued by some, I don't know if you would want to call them conspiracy people or some researchers who've tried to put all these puzzle pieces together. 
where Lincoln actually said once that blue lodges, as they call them everywhere, doing their secret and deadly work. Now, of course, just reading that quote out of context, you would think, oh, actually Lincoln was an anti-Mason, that sounds anti-Masonic. Well, actually, in reality, at this time, Blue Lodges was the name of secret sort of pro-slavery networks that were actually secret societies. The Knights of the Golden Circle, where John Wilkes Booth came from, which had been formed around six years before Abraham Lincoln becomes president, had already expanded and really spooked a lot of people. That not only was the South acting more and more belligerent and threatening secession, and it did seem to be going that direction, there also seemed to be another undercurrent of secret societies of pro-slave-owning sort of aristocrats in the South that were plotting things. So there were two layers. There was essentially the Confederacy, as it existed at that time, before secession, and this sort of underground political undercurrents that were dictating some plots and conspiracies to maintain slavery. And Blue Lodges was an expression of this. Blue Lodges weren't directly related to the Knights of the Golden Circle, but they were the name for essentially organizations that were secretly plotting to keep slavery afloat. And where did they get this name, Blue Lodges, from? Well, of course, they got it from Freemasonry because some of these pro-slave networks that operated in these Blue Lodge secret societies in the South were actually converted Masonic lodges, converted to this pro-slavery, burgeoning secret society that was now forming that didn't necessarily really even have a name. But all these little factors coming together, all these little forces coming together, where the Masonic secret society structure was essentially enabling a conspiracy within the Confederacy to rise, and what would eventually become one of the most massive assassination plots ever uncovered in American history. If you liked what you heard in this 25-minute preview clip, of the Freemasonic History of the United States, Part 5. Brother Against Brother, Freemasonry, Knights of the Golden Circle, and the Scottish Rite during the Civil War. Please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber of ours at patreon.com slash mediarootsradio. For as little as $5 a month, or per creation, you get immediate access to the entire Freemasonic History of the United States series which is now about 23 hours long. And this series will continue probably into May. Part one of the series, called The Temple of Solomon, Hiram Abiff, and the Masonic Origin Story of the United States, is now unlocked and available to everybody if you'd like to check out more of the podcast before deciding to become a subscriber. Take care, and have a happy new year. 